What is culture without life? In our cultural program, we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry, and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6. Good morning everyone! I am David and today in the studio I am joined by a French guy named... Tristan. Hello everybody. Hello Tristan. We are going to talk about, for this cultural program, a British band from the 60s. It's not Beatles because we already made the programs about them a month ago. Yeah. Today is Rolling Stones' turn. Yeah, if it's not Beatles, a British band from the 60s, we don't have a lot of choices. <laughs> we need <laughs> yeah, to go on right. Rolling Stone. Yeah, we are pretty stereotyped guys, sorry. So, Beatles and then Rolling Stones. Yeah, but there is good reasons to speak about them. That's true, and we like cliches. So, Rolling Stones. What do you think about Rolling Stones? A lot of things. <laughs> no, because I think like a uh, lot of People, now Rolling Stone is like uh, this kind of mythic or legendary band, maybe even more than Beatles in the common mind because they're still alive or they still continue to create music or to make some concert. Yeah. So there is this kind of really huge uh, fame around them. And when you speak about rock and roll, I think it's most of the time one of the first names that uh, people can have in mind or one of the most famous, even if it's not totally true or I don't know, I'm not an expert in rock and roll or music history. You don't have to be an expert. They are rock and roll. I mean, they didn't invent it, of course, they, but they are maybe the most iconic band. Yeah, and that's it. For me, Rolling Stone, before their music, it's a kind of let's say, spirit or image of this uh, music genre and also this uh, time period of the history. And after I discovered their music and I made a lot of really good uh, discoveries inside it, there is some uh, song in Rolling Stones that for me are so important and uh, when I discover it, I, uh, they really accompany me in some uh, period of my life when I wanted to discover more um, different kind of music. And uh, face off their huge career and all the different uh, albums they produce, it's uh, impossible to really dislike them. I think you can always find something cool inside because it's um, now they, uh, in 2020, they approach to their 58 years of career. I think is the longest career in music history or maybe not so They're far. older than my mother. Yeah. We are talking about the 60s and uh, still, as we said for the Beatles program, we have to mention how this time was like relevant in the creativity of uh, both Beatles and Rolling Stones and everyone that came out from music in mm. those years. But yeah, I agree with you. I also have a lot of memories related to Rolling Stones and some Rolling Stones albums and songs so we are going to discuss about it also later but first i have to say that i prefer resistance over beatles but we can cut this like challenge here because actually it's a made-up challenge by critics and uh, 
they were the two most iconic bands, so it was uh, easy to make them like one against the other or to compare them or to create this uh, image of different poles, like opposites between them, when in reality it wasn't like that, because Rolling Stones were always like the bad ones, the dirty ones, but it's not like Beatles were really clean, despite the fact that they dressed very neat and precise at the beginning of their career, but yeah, yeah it was just aesthetic and uh, it didn't have anything to do with music, so actually this opposition is pretty trivial and silly. Yeah, and in their private life, Beatles and Rolling Stone were friends and they share some time together and uh, we can speak maybe about it later, but uh, they also help each other's career and uh, this kind of uh, fighting, it's more due to the manager's strategy and all the mediatization around this two band because they uh, totally uh, grown up and explode in the same time but with very, two very different look and uh, visual image and also differences in their music and uh, it created this kind of thing but at the end uh, there is no good reason to make it fighting for it I think yeah they also in some way influenced each other even if they made very different um, type of music but actually if we talk about 1968 and uh, Beatles album Sgt. Peppers and all that like coming to the oriental um, religion that influenced Rolling Stones too. So, as I said, this time was so filled and um, full that everybody in the end kind of influenced each other from the greatest. Anyway, how do we start to tell this story? Because I like the quote by Rolling Stones themselves. Rollistons are the world's greatest rock and roll band, <laughs> they said. So I think they are right, probably. I don't know, actually, but the truth with Rollistons is the fact that I never got bored by one song from them, really. And I heard some songs a lot, but still they never bore me and they, are, they don't sound outdated. But I wanted to did you prepare like a story chronological story kind of i pick some event that uh, interesting me and looks uh, cool in the story of the band but like not uh, all because of the story uh, across all the second half of uh, 20th century and uh, i think it's impossible to really sum up it yeah yeah of course at least for me it's more interesting to talk about the first 10 years of career musically they are more interesting and yeah there's a tragedy inside this story also we are going to discuss about that and yeah to start i think it's good to speak about the first meeting because it's always interesting to know how this legendary band uh, meet for the first time and how this idea to make music together just uh, pop up in their mind and uh, yeah i leave you this one to you oh they grown up and um as I know and as I read, the first meeting of the future Rolling Stone members was in uh, 1962. So it was the year where Beatles, uh, the four Beatles starting to play music together also. So it's really like uh, the special year for English rock and roll. And uh, they meet in the Blues Incorporated. It was a British blues band led by uh, Alexi Corner. 
This man is considered like the man who bring the blues in England and helped the English blues to grow up and to become popular. And so he influenced and helped a lot of uh, British musicians. And so it was like a big band open to several musicians. You can join this band for a few time after leave or just join for one concert. It was like a, an open place to perform together. And uh, so it helped musicians to grow up and to find also kind of musical maturity. And all the future Rolling Stone already played in that band in uh, 62. And uh, I think we can start to speak about Brian Jones, one of the first Rolling Stone and considered as the first leader and the one who created the group. Yeah. First, I want to say it's good that you mentioned blues because Rolling Stones are always uh, labeled like rock and roll, of course, but... Blues influence in Ronnie Stone's music is huge. Blues is where they started, like covering uh, blues songs were their first LP. And there was always some blues, even in the latest um, albums in their careers. And that's actually why I like them so much, because I love blues. But yeah, we say Rolling Stones and we imagine like just guitars or Arctic Monkeys kind of style. No, but uh, it's, this it's different. Yeah, yeah this one is completely uh, different. So Brian Jones, you were telling me you mentioned it as the leader. I don't really know how to speak about his role in the band, but it looks like at the really beginning, the one who bring all the future Rolling Stones together and to say uh, together we will play in the band and it's also the one who finds these Rolling Stone names. So in a lot of articles it's considered as like the first leader of the band but I don't think uh, that is like a real leader. It's, it's the soul of, uh, of the group because yeah. actually it was Mick Jagger together with Keith Richards They knew each other from elementary school since, mm. since they were really, really young. And they had played with different kind of groups. And then they met Brian Jones and little by little. Yeah, the, the that's it. Because Brian Jones already have his uh, band and Kate Richard and uh, Mick Jagger have their band also. And uh, at one time, the singer of the Brian Jones band left and Brian Jones looking for a new singer. And uh, Alexi Corner, the one who led this big blues incorporated band, said to Brian Jones, if you want, uh, I know a singer who already performed with uh, my band and I can uh, advise you to meet him. And it was Mike Jagger. And Jagger accepted to join the band of Brian Jones only if he can bring with uh, him some uh, friends, uh, some musicians for his band. And it's how Kate Richard also joined. It's a kind of mix of two bands which became Rolling Stone. And uh, at that first uh, meeting in 62, so the band was composed by Mike Jagger who sing, Kate Richard at the guitar, Brian Jones at the guitar also, Ian Stewart at the piano, Mike Avery at drums and uh, Dick Taylor at uh, bass guitar. And uh, one of the particularity of this, uh, let's say, uh, formation, musical formation in rock and roll was these two guitars because usually when you have two guitarists in rock and roll, one is solo guitar and the other one is a rhythmic guitar. But with uh, Kate Richards and Brian Jones, who are both really good guitarists in rhythmic and also in solo part, they use a technique called guitar weaving, which means that there is no one guitarist for solo and other guitarist for uh, rhythmic. So you can move One can start rhythmic, then go to solo, and uh, it's also a particularity mm -hmm. of the Rolling Stone uh, playing uh, style. 
for me, when I listen some of their songs, I really feel it like this moving stuff with a, it's also for me can be linked with a, what I know about blues, this accordance to some improvisation and the fact mm. to sometimes yeah. slide to something different and a kind of surprise also listeners. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> it's true. It makes their song very unpredictable and they have some fulfillment in them. Like they are really full of lots of things sometimes. They don't go into a direction because, I don't know, the writer is one, for example. It's true, you can feel this. I think also to work in this kind of a way, uh, like the one you described between Richards and Jones, you have to have lots of uh, alchemy. Yeah, Rolling Stone is about alchemy. To be again able to play together after more than 50 years, you need to have this special yeah. alchemy. <laughs> But, I mean, in the beginning, I think, to have this alchemy, alcohol helped, and uh, <laughs> drugs, and, uh, yeah, we know, and their stories full of uh, excess. Yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and uh, basements, and dirty places, and being extremes, and um, making pacts with the devil, and this <laughs> kind of stuff. <laughs> But yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting um, thing in their songs, actually in their music, because their music is not so studied, like, I don't know, for example, Beatles, they worked on their songs more than Rolling Stones. Actually, I don't know, because Rolling Stones are pure blues rock, and so they don't need to go over and over the music. It just, if it tells what it needs to be told and gives that uh, vibration, it's perfect. And that's it. But Yeah, we can distinguish actually Rolling Stones with Brian Jones and Rolling Stones without Brian Jones. Yeah, Rolling totally. Stones with Brian Jones also had this uh, jolly, let's say, because as far as I know, Brian Jones was like a musical genius. He could play instruments. He was um, multi-instrumentalist. He can play a lot of them. And he was and really good in a lot. very young age, so he started really young and he had some uh, great talent and uh, development in music and this gave their songs as I said something unpredictable uh, also with other types of um, unusual instruments and yeah that's what I wanted to say sorry for interrupting no you. no of course it's good to interrupt it's like a stone music you never know where where go <laughs> sure I will do it more often <laughs> yeah and um, to continue in chronological order. After all, meet each other, they give their first concert together in uh, July the 12th, 1962 in the Marquis. And uh, I just wanted to give few words about this Marquis because it's a mythic London club in which a lot of legendary bands from these decades starting their career or give their first concert. And it was really a mythic place for this uh, thing and uh, it's something that little bit missing I think now this fact to not have uh, such a dedicated place to perform music and in which every musician can meet other musicians and perform together, meet each other, share their uh, songwriting, their uh, composition skill. And I think a place like that is also one of the reasons why this uh, big uh, rock and roll wave in uh, England 
arrive in the same time because all these uh, people who take part in it have the opportunity to meet and discover this music in a place dedicated to it. Yeah. Do you think something like this exists today? I don't know. Maybe, but uh, I never went in some place like that. So. Yeah. Also, today's um, mediatization of music is really different and uh, you can be known as a musician without uh, yeah, left your, your room. So it's... Uh, yeah, that's why I asked. Like, even if it exists, I think it will be impossible to find back this kind of spirit which looks really linked with this uh, time. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. But still like to have this live and real fusion of um, musicians, uh, I don't know if there's a place that can be close to that today. It would be nice to know. <laughs> yeah, but Marky <laughs> nice uh, to go. continue to exist. Is this a London club? Yeah, yeah, I know it. But, but uh, I think it's not the same than before. <laughs> no, they, they don't make so many like concerts. As far as I know, I never went to the place uh, and I, I never knew there was a great concert there. It's kind of a small place, actually. I think mm -hmm. maybe they make some jazz today there because it's in Soho and in that place there are some really old um, jazz um, places like really for rich people, very aristocratic with okay. uh, <laughs> like restaurant inside and... Um, Also Nina Simone, I think, uh, played there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's gone this way, I think. But anyway, so, 1962 Marquis, their yeah. first concert, their yeah, first the live. first Rolling Stones concert. Mm -hmm. And uh, one year later, in 63, the member of the group changed for first time. For example, uh, Mick Avery at the drum left and he became later the drummer of uh, The Kings which is a really, really good English band also. Maybe less known than, no, for sure, the less Kings. known than uh, Beatles and Rolling Stone, but I really like them and I can advise you to listen it. And uh, so when uh, Mike Avery left, Charlie Watts joined the band as a drums and is uh, still the drummer today. And uh, there is also some uh, changing because, uh, um, for example, Ian Stewart, the pianist, left officially the band But he still continued to help them for some uh, concerts and he also became their road manager who accompanied them for all the tour. Yeah. And uh, all this change can be also due to the job of their manager because they meet their manager during that year in uh, 63 in uh, April. And it was Andrew Lug Oldman. And uh, this man wanted to find a band and to become the manager of a band like uh, like Beatles because it was the time when uh, Beatles totally explode and uh, some people have this feeling that other rock and roll band were really ready to know also fame in uh, London and this man looking for it and when he discovered Rolling Stone on the stage he said uh, that's it that's the band that I want to manage because I know they are able to fly away mm -hmm. and uh, he have a good feeling apparently mm -hmm. <laughs> as we know Rolling Stones, I think everybody knows, but you never know. So you, uh, we have to like describe a bit uh, their image, their music, their spirit. In this case, the image, like the mediatic image, was really like free and collided with the, their music. It was just wild and completely without uh, limits. And from this manager, Oldham, came a famous sentence about Rolling Stones just to make their, uh, like, um, 
icon image just dirtier and more not allowed. Like, let's put it this way. And he asked, like, two people, would you leave your daughter to go out with one of the stones? And this, I mean, this, like, formed their imaginary of being, like, the bad guys. Let's put it this way. And... Yeah, I wanted to talk a little about uh, musically of this period because they're really like very young and since now, like we are talking about 1962-63, there is no like self-written song. No, it's them. most of them is cover of like uh, Rhythm and Blues classic and uh, yeah, especially, like that. especially Robert Johnson, which made a kind of blues that was um, had some dark side in it very inquiet to mm. say it in uh, French <laughs> <laughs> and so they mostly made cover of these great songs some of the cover are, um, are really really good I think of course in this period giving the fact that it's a cover it's more about how Mick Jagger's voice is distinctive and how is it um, powerful in uh, its expression like it's really an expressive uh, voice maybe it's because of the size of his mouth and um, I don't know but really I think he's, uh, he's an amazing singer and so we are in 1962-63 and basically they only put out like in the market singles that were covered or anyway, uh, songs written by others. But yep. still, there were some uh, positive uh, coming from both critic and public. So their style, I don't know, was kind of clear from the beginning. Let's put it this way. It's not like they had to change uh, completely direction. No. But they start like, uh, I think, almost all the music band with covers because uh, to put on the front of the stadium music it's more easier to start with uh, using song of other and to show to the audience how you can uh, play this song in your own way with your own uh, music universe, if I can say it like that. And I think, yeah, since the beginning, Rolling Stone knew how they want to make music. They just missed this uh, original composition, but which uh, arrived with uh, time. And uh, they have this uh, great uh, musical feeling and uh, I think they know how they wanted to make music and we can hear it because through their really long discography we can find some similarities sometimes between it and we, we really feel that they find their, their music. Yeah, and also these covers are... Um, they had a sense, a meaning. Like It's not like uh, just a cover making it a bit different but mm. it was more modern than uh, the original one. We are talking about like 1960s, two, three, four, and already Beatles were coming out and uh, Bob Dylan. And um, there was a change in the sound and in the music. And these covers are really like making it more free in a kind of way, less melancholic. And there's some bit that it's just uh, stronger. It has a stronger impact. And I just want to name one of these uh, first initial covers by Rolling Stones. The name is Little Red Rooster. 
It's from uh, 1964. I mean, the cover of Rolling Stones is from 1964. It's an amazing cover. A beautiful song written originally by Willie Dixon as a standard blues. So it was like, again, this bridge between blues and rock. And the singer, the original singer of the song, three years earlier, was the great Howling Wolf. And this is, this is a great song if you don't know it. Little Red Rooster. Good to know. And uh, yeah, as you said, at that year, it was like the big uh, fly up from the Beatles. And uh, I think for me, it's also helped the career of Rolling Stone to grow up. Because, for example, in 63, McCartney and Lennon write a song for Rolling Stone. It's um, the song I Wanna Be Your Man. It was only on single, it was not on an album, so I don't... Uh, really know on which album now you can find it. In the same time, this uh, success of Beatles convinced their manager, Oldham, to push them, force them to compose their own song because he understands that it was something who worked. And so he wanted to create like the uh, like Beatles have composition with McCartney Lennon and he wanted to create the same duo in Rolling Stone with uh, Richard and uh, Yeager. And so there is a lot of uh, stories about it. Apparently, uh, some people say that he locked them in the kitchen during one weekend and say you have to compose, you can't go out without original composition or a lot of funny stories like that. But at the end now, we have the result of it and uh, Richards and uh, Jagger are both really good composers and create some of the most iconic Rolling Stone songs and at that time also helped by the skill and the talent of uh, Brian Jones who bring a lot of uh, musical instrument on the song, a lot of way of playing it. I'm not expert in music, but as I understood, the influence of Brian Jones was really important during the first year of Rolling Stone yeah. because he has this ear, this musical feeling so developed and he put it in the first uh, composition of Richard and Mike Jagger to make it more uh, upper, let's say it like that. But you can also hear it in the music. The music of the Rolling Stones when uh, Brian Jones was in the formation and alive was um, more unpredictable in the fact that really there was something uh, brilliant in some songs. Later on, like, I don't know, I Love, for example, Sticky Fingers from 1971, we will talk about it later, but it's a more um, cohesive and... Um, It's not predictable, but you can see the direction of the album much more and it's something that Brian Jones, like, I don't know. That's why I say he's a jolly, because he just gave the songs a spleen. Yeah. Yeah, something that just shined sometimes. Yeah, and so uh, thanks to this new way of working, the success and the fame of Rolling Stone just grown up bigger and bigger and... Uh, One of the things that really epitomize that period and that uh, growing up success is their first album, released in uh, 1964, called The Rolling Stone. And inside there are 12 songs, some cover, but two songs composed by all the band and uh, another one, another composition by uh, Mike Jagger and Kate Richards. So it's the beginning of their original song and uh, original music, which uh, grown up and... Uh, interesting thing for me with this uh, first album is that we can feel all their influence, their roots. There's a lot of blues uh, stuff inside it, for example, with the use of 
harmonica, specific rhythmic, and also this uh, bottleneck uh, playing guitar technique. You know, when you cut the neck of the bottle, you put it on one of your fingers and you use it on your guitar to make some slide effect or to mm-hmm. have this specific song, which is really linked with the blues music, yeah. but also used by Rolling Stone and uh, this bottleneck technique. Uh, Brian Jones was really, really good in it, and uh, most of the, them are played by him. And also, all this uh, multi-instrument skill of Brian Jones, because we can um, start to hear different instruments. It will become more important for the next album, but still we can uh, already hear their uh, wish and will of uh, musicians, and it's uh, really interesting, I think. Yeah, it's a very nice album from, from the songs I know. Personally, I um, I love blues, and uh, the influence of blues is huge in these first uh, albums, especially this one. They're all blues covers, basically, except from some um, songs written by Jagger and Richards. And the sounds is just, uh, I don't know, it makes you want to um, dance and drink whiskey. Two things that I love, as you know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, yeah... So basically, one of the songs that was written by Jagger and Richards from this uh, 1964 album, The Rolling Stones, was um, Tell Me You're Coming Back. So they are starting to write uh, their own songs, actually. And after this 1964 album, The Rolling Stones, came other like LP albums with songs that they already covered or written because actually we are in a period in a time of music where it was more about the single than the the album a thing that will change with some great albums that will arrive um, later like Sgt. Pepper's by Beatles and also their concept of making albums uh, with a concept So this will make the album more important, but for now, at the beginning, in the first half of the 60s, it was more about um, putting out in the market a single mm. than an entire album. There was also these big differences between the English music market and the American one for the English speaker band, because, uh, for example, it's not the same album which were released and sell in uh, England and in the uh, United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes career can have really different way in these two countries. And uh, really early in their career, around 64, if I'm not mistaken, Rolling Stone spent also a lot of time and a lot of their working time in United States. And it's also a country who influence and shape their career and in which they uh, know a really, really huge and uh, quick fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but differently from the Beatles, Rolling Stones were accepted by American public much easier mm. and uh, much faster because they were closer, actually. Because maybe we have to also mention uh, how they appealed in the public of their time and the fact that this band that is like a band coming from uh, hell, no, like the Devil's Friends, And they were the manifestation of some middle class, also teenage and uh, young people that wanted to rebel to the perfect life with like marriage and uh, children and work and all that middle class problematics. 
and made it in a very like rock and roll is like not making it philosophical not making it intellectual but making it physical and saying yeah, it it became more than loud. only music it's also a way of living and uh, yeah it's rolling stone looks to be the best representative of it at that time yeah exactly it's like uh, no limits no boundaries and um just want to say fuck and i think it's also at during that year around uh, 65 66 that they uh, released some of their famous songs for their lyrics for example satisfaction or 19th nervous breakdown and this song i think can really speak to these people who want some uh, changes or have some rebellion ideas and it's also maybe can uh, explain why their fame growing up so much in the uh, United States mm-hmm. because yeah. I think it's a country which look more concerned or more close to their lyrics than uh, England at that time. Yeah, probably. So, as I said, it was more about the singles than the albums. Other two albums comes out after these the Rolling Stones. One uh, is 12 per 5 and the other one is the Rolling Stones number 2 or the Rolling Stones now in uh, USA but what's important in the story are more the singles that comes after this mm. album one especially is one of their most famous songs these three singles are the last time first I can get no satisfaction and get off of my cloud still the blues is um, completely inside this music but of course a single like I can get no satisfaction is the definitive fame something about I can get no satisfaction that we didn't mention about uh, Rolling Stones is uh, the luxurious aspect that they bring to music like um, uh, there's some real lust in their music uh, in their rhythm and in the way Mick Jagger sings, in the way Mick Jagger moves, because we are in, talking about the beginning, but I have to say that um, concerts and live is uh, crucial for Rolling Stones. I mean, their music comes really alive uh, when they make concerts, because it's that type mm. of music, contrary yeah. to the Beatles, for they example. Are, they are live performers. Sure. Yeah, and uh, so it's something that uh, has to has something connected with lust, and this I can get no satisfaction as some sexual hints, of course. It's a very sensual song that has some um, very distinctive characteristics of all Rolling Stones music, and they tend to create a kind of melody or a riff and go around it like something that beats you, beats you, beats you, beats you until you can't stop to to listen to it. And personally, I always loved songs that were um, repetitive in this kind of a way, like a mantra. Or I think to make good music, you have to find one good riff or one good road of notes, let's put it this way, and continue it. You know, you don't have to change or uh, jump too much. That's what makes me hypnotized also about their music technically. Mm. Of course, also their public was full of excess. 
because there was like scandalized public. We are in the 60s. And um, for example, in one of uh, these concerts in Berlin in 1966, Mick Jagger was in the middle of his like performance trance and um, he started to imitate uh, the step of uh, the Nazist duck in Berlin. And this um, provocation uh, started like a riot, like a fight uh, in the public. Mm. So you put all these elements together and uh, you become an icon of uh, all that uh, liberation, let's say like this. But it's also worth mentioning the fact that we are describing them like making some uh, tribalistic music and like very luscious and uh, sexual but they also can make some slow and melancholic songs after all they come from blues yeah and totally. it's like the one i suggested you before to to listen to uh, as tears go by it's uh, it's a song that i really like Personally, I didn't know this song before um, knowing it through Anthony and the Johnsons, Anthony Egerty, which who is an amazing singer, and made a beautiful uh, cover of this um, As Tears Go By. It's not like you put an album of Rally Stones and you just hear boom, boom, boom. Or no, no, not at all. Or some riff. And especially in that period, because you speak about 66, and I think... At my eyes, 66 is a really important year for Rolling Stone because it's the year where they create the best album for me. It's uh, Aftermath, Aftermath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in it, you can... Uh, first, is really important album because it's the first one with only original songs inside. There is no cover. So it's really like the, their, their album, their music. It's also introduced in their music some... Uh, psychedelics and a uh, kind of world influence like in the same time than uh, Beatles uh, did it also so it was really uh, when rock starting to put new thing inside his uh, musical creation and uh, there is so good songs on it and really various songs which uh, prove that Rolling Stone have a great uh, composing skill and they are able to play in different music genres and they're always good in it. Uh, for example, uh, there is a song Painted Black, which is my favorite Rolling Stone uh, song, in which you can hear the, a sitar. And uh, there is a song Lady Jane, in which you can hear uh, an Appalachian dulcimer. It's a kind of old fretted string instrument. In uh, Under My Thumb, you can hear a marimba. is a percussion instrument from uh, South uh, American or South African country and uh, all these things together create give to this album a very particular tone a very particular feeling for me it's a very creative album yeah, yeah and it for me it's like the best uh, during best example of the genius of Brian Jones because all these different instruments are bringed and played by Brian Jones and you can really feel that this man was a genius of music and uh, unfortunately he also had a lot of problems in his life and uh, he died young tragically but with this album you can really feel that uh, I think without Brian Jones Rolling Stone looks to be really different maybe just musically to hear maybe this is uh, 
the most rich album, the richest album in that case, because as you said, there are lots of instruments and really some songs are uh, unpredictable and um, amazing. Not only you mentioned Painted Black, which is the first one, you mentioned it, right? Yeah. I know you loved it. The other famous song and the complete masterpiece is um, Under My Thumb, the first track, but the end of the album is um, completely astonishing. There are two songs, I Am Waiting and Going Home, two completely different songs, just to describe how this um, album is also variegated. The first one, I Am Waiting, is uh, like uh, very psychedelic and it makes you chill and uh, like you are high on something. And it's like a prelude to this 10, 11, I don't remember, minutes last song, which is Going Home. Great, great song. And it's uh, it has that crescendo. It's at like third or fourth minutes. It goes up and up. It is proper blues. It's a great song, going on. You can feel that Brian Jones um, was a great part in this uh, in this work, and I agree. It's I still love Rolling Stones and what they did after, but this one is. Um, It's pretty good. Totally. So we are in 1966. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 1967, 1968. A lot of things were happening in the world, in the musical world, in those times. Especially if we think, if we talk about musical world, as we said in our program about Beatles, it's the year Sgt. Peppers comes out. And this this has some uh, influence for lots of musicians. For example, also Rolling Stones started to get close to Indian um, religion and Indian gurus. And, and it also changed our way of making music because yeah, 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 they, 67 is a year of new album, The Satanic Majesty's Request, which is um, totally different from the previous uh, blues Roots. They, this album looks to take distance from the blues roots and it's more uh, an experimental album and uh, unfortunately it was not so successful when he, when he was released and it kind of convinced the Rolling Stone to put more of their uh, music, of their energy in this blues uh, thing which became after more present in their future album but this um, satanic majesty request for me it's really cool album which uh, similar to Aftermath offer different uh, way of compose create song in a Rolling Stone uh, career yeah it is a small um, change of direction and it's also a work that is close to what is happening outside as I said it's, it was not a period where you could um, work by yourself and, and be shouted from what's happening in the world because I mean it was so important that Um, it influenced everybody mm. but yeah this uh, one you mentioned but also Between the Buttons which I think is the first album that I have ever uh, listened by by Raleigh Stones because I had this album at home yeah it's this mix of um, psychedelic songs they, they, they have they definitely they have a different uh, sound from um, Aftermath But the most famous song is probably Ruby Tuesday. Yeah, from this uh, from this album. During the end of this 60 decade, the center of the rock music 
starting to move from England to United States because a lot of really famous uh, American rock band starting to bur to born during that period. For example, Jimi Hendrix Experience, uh, The Doors, and they both came from California. And uh, after this big fame of rock and roll in uh, London during the beginning of 60s, the end of 60s looks to be uh, the place for rock and roll looks to be in United States and more precisely in California. And it can also maybe convince them to went back to this uh, blues roots we are, which are connected with uh, American country. Yeah, because if we think about like these two albums, Ruby Tuesday, okay, but especially She's a Rainbow, it could be a song by Beatles, easily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a good one. But anyway, after this, uh, these two albums... In 1968 comes out another great work. Name of this album is Beggar's Banquet. Again, in, with Beggar's Banquet, we are in the like image of bad boys and the dirty ones. But it's a really powerful album in the musical composition. I feel it like that. Yeah, but to like say to everybody that we are still the dirtiest, it's interesting the choice that I made for the cover of the album because actually the original cover of this Beggar's Banquet was um, censored by American public uh, because it was a toilet, basically, <laughs> a public toilet. So these albums then came out with just a plain white cream uh, cover with written the name of the band and the album. So you were telling that you like this album? It's not my favorite. Personally, I feel more attracted by albums like Aftermath or Their Satanic Majesty's Request. But it's also because, as you said, some sound looks like more Beatles one or maybe it's why I find a kind of uh, pleasure in it, I don't know. But with um, this album, Beggar Bucket, I really feel, uh, I don't know, I feel something powerful, something really, yeah, rock and roll, rhythm and blues, and uh, something really deep in their music. I don't really know how to yeah. express it. It's just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it goes it, underground. Though. Yeah, and it's funny because it's not really connected to one precise song. It's more... A general feeling around all the all the album, mm -hmm. but I don't really know how to I explain it. No, no, I, I think I understood. I don't know this album in the is entire. Probably I've heard, I've listened to it entirely, but I don't have this great picture of all the songs and all the album together. But still, the most important song of this album and the masterpiece of this album is the first song of the album and uh, probably my favorite Rolling Stones song. I, I don't know how, the, uh, how a song so catchy and um, powerful can be can exist in the world. Uh, it's Sympathy uh, for the Devil, which has been my um, phone ringtone for years and years. I am in love with this song. It's just... You cannot describe how this song is just makes you makes you want to be friend with the devil <laughs> uh, let's, I will just read some of the lyrics actually how the song starts 
please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year, stolen many a man's soul and faith. And I was around when Jesus Christ, at his moment of doubt and pain, made them sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. The lyrics of Rolling Stones are very provocative and they have this kind of boldness of saying I want this dark and it's my will and uh, it's me choosing to embrace it. It's not like, uh, I don't know, misfortune or something that uh, I am passive about or I am a victim about it. They like overcome this victimization of uh, the dark side of life and they go through that direction. It's like a question of power in a way. And Painted Black is another example of this. Like I, I want everything painted black. It's just like I choose it to be. Uh, mm. it, black exists, so I choose to have this black. And this one is even more strong in this. And But there's, it's not like Painting Black that it's a very violent song. This Sympathy for the Devil is totally sexual and has the rhythm of uh, some right in the hell. But some like right of dancing around the fire. Because music actually is like a samba with these little uh, shouts... Yeah, from a Jagger in the dancing mood inside. The song is inspired, by the way, by Master and Margarita by Bulgakov. Mm. Yeah, which was a book that was um, given to Jagger by his fiance, much rumored story liaison with Marian Faithful, a singer. And yeah. also, and also an actress. She had COVID actually, but I. I don't know how she is, but I hope she's fine. She's a great singer. I, I like her too. Do you know her? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, the first version of As Tears Goes By was composed by Jagger and Richard for her. Yeah, it's true. And then the year after, it's the crucial and most important year probably in uh, Rolling Stone's career, 1969. Mm. Yeah. It's the year... Of Brian John's death, uh, Rolling Stones were preparing their next album, Let It Bleed, but Brian John's appears officially only in two of the songs of this album because he was already uh, going through uh, alcohol and drug uh, abuse. Yeah, he was uh, starting to be out of the band. He was not able to be so present for working, composing. Or he had a bigger life trouble and Bond starting to put them step by step out of... Uh, yeah, especially because they had to also tour. Yeah, so and he was not able to take part in tour. And sometimes Bond was locked in some city due to some uh, problem of Brian Jones with uh, authority or things like that because he was arrested. or. Mm. And in the same time, they discover few years before that in some tour, Brian Jones have more higher salaries than the other because he was uh, rated as the leader of the band. So even without all this problem, 
it's already exists some uh, tenses between Brian Jones and the other member of the band, and like the departure of Brian Jones was just a question of time because um, before he died, he already left the band. Also, differently from Beatles, where the positions and bad feeling with each other came much before their departure, at least a couple of years, let's mm. say. Mm. Anyway, it was easier for them because they didn't have to make concerts, basically. Yeah. So they only had to write some songs. Yeah, manage some in studio. They could not see each other for long times, but in this case... Uh, it's um, very difficult, I think. Yeah, he was like in self-destruction all his life. But lately, yes, he had like more and more departed from uh, from all the group, and he was found that in um, his in the pool of his house on the third mm. of July, nineteen sixty nine. I just want to mention about his death, the song that Nico, German singer, she was um, discovered by Andy Warhol, and she made part of. Velvet Underground and Nico, and then she had a less famous but much more, um, much, much greater career alone. Very dark and um, sepulchral music, something mm. like that anticipated uh, all uh, the dark uh, wave and punk of the 80s. She was like uh, one of my um, teenage idols. <laughs> and she had um, a great relationship, uh, strong relationship with Jones. And her the first song of her most acclaimed uh, album and one of the best name of the album is Desert Shore, and the first song of this album is uh, dedicated is a poem dedicated to Brian Jones and the title is Janitor of Lunacy. If you want to hear it, I mean it's something you will not forget if you hear this album. Oh, sounds good. But yeah, I think despite Brian Jones died so young. 27 years it's a mm -hmm. member of this uh, informal uh, club of seven club of 27 you know all this uh, yeah, yeah. artist died uh, at that age I think he's a really important musician from this uh, 60s decade and uh, he shaped a lot the Rolling Stone not only because uh, yeah Richard um, Kate Richard Mike Jagger are also great music composer great songwriter but the influence of Brian Jones is really important, I think, and I'm always really impressed by all his uh, multi-instrument skill and his, uh, yeah, his uh, capacity to play a lot of them and to always put them in a song with the perfect match and uh, you really feel it like uh, it's something which needs to be here at that precise time, played like that. After Brian Jones, I uh, I appreciate less uh, Rolling Stones song. I feel really more attracted to first part of their career. All my favorite songs came from this 60s mm -hmm. period in which Brian Jones put a lot of his uh, skill and uh, ideas in their music. Mm -hmm. No, for me, no. As I said, actually, most of my memories are related to uh, after Brian Jones... <laughs> songs by Rolling Stones. Yeah, definitely they have, I don't know, a, a less defined music style before with Brian Jones. And so it makes it much more... Um, open to experimentation. Open. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I true. totally agree. Yeah. They made some amazing songs and I love it, but I still love them a lot. Yeah. Simply. And you're totally right. I 
feel that we need to talk about uh, briefly about other two albums that comes um, after oh. Brian Jones death and a bit about uh, our memories related to Rolling Stones. The first album is the album that comes out the same year, 1969, so in this middle in the middle of uh, this um, like huge problem because they knew that he was going to die in a way. And the album is Let It Bleed and actually it's full of great songs. In this album you can find some uh, iconic songs by Rolling Stones, You Can't Always Get What You Want, mm. Give Me Shelter and Love In Vain are my favorites. You Can't Always Get What You Want is uh, is a song I'm really, I really, really like. It's an important song in my life uh, and it's related to one precise moment. Give Me Shelter is <laughs> just very good, especially to dance. And Love in Vain is a cover by Robert Johnson. We mentioned it in the beginning of the program. It's a very underrated song by Raleigh Stones, I think. Just listen to it. Yeah, that's the best way. And two years later, the other albums that I want to mention and we cannot not mention it's Sticky Fingers ah, of course because Sticky Fingers is the album which I most relate my life with actually because when I had my driving license and my first car which was this really small car and um, that I made it run um, <laughs> like an idiot very very fast I remember my first routes like with this car where in this beautiful like road in uh, rural only fields and fields and sticky fingers in uh, in my stereo and especially uh, uh, brown sugar the, the first song is the one I really remember and feel like I am in this car driving for like I don't know the first week first time and gave me life Oh, nice. Of course, it's the most famous album by Rolling Stones, probably. I think um, the picture cover by uh, Warhol is also... Yeah, the album. picture cover, let's open this parenthesis because it's important. The picture cover is a bulge uh, in some jeans. And it's, um, I don't know, for me it's the perfect uh, photo to describe ro rock and roll because... Rock and roll is a cock for me. <laughs> <laughs> great cover, a great album, and great musician. also a great ending. Moonlight Mile is... Uh, I love that song. But anyway, so I talked also about my memories related to Rally Stones. Do you have something I to share before we close the I program? I think about my memories related to Rolling Stone. If, if I have only one to choose is uh, when I discovered the movie uh, The Darjeeling Limited by Wes Anderson. There is one really beautiful sequence, a family sequence, in which there is played with fire. And it's uh, I can watch this sequence every day or like uh, during all my life. And I always have the same feeling, like it's a perfect match between music and image and it's just beautiful and uh, that's it for me. Uh, Rolling Stone also, Rolling Stone music also has this very cinematographic dimension and to put their music on some movie sequence sometimes it's just uh, amazing. 
Thanks for the advice. I think that's all. We can close our yeah, program. Yeah, because of it's such a big bond that we can't... Uh, We can speak about them so long. Yeah, we have to say that still they, they didn't finish to make albums. They still make concerts. The last album is yeah. from four uh, years ago. There are some like something like 20 albums in after Sticky Fingers, but still we chose to um, talk about this part of their career. It was the yeah. most important one. So I think it's time to um, say goodbye to yeah. our listeners. And listen Rolling Stone music and... Uh, Enjoy it and see you next time. Yeah, bye bye. What is culture without life? In our cultural program, we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry, and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6.